0: Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sulcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we pull out our soapboxes, dust off the rosettes, and hear ye, hear ye, it's a Terry Rantz special. Except he's not here. Conspiracy theorists collectively gasp in unison. The latest APRA statistics are out and they're not as good as they might appear. I studied statistics at university, but thank goodness I came to my senses. The Financial Services Minister has been flagging the importance of data, our editorial team don't approve of political jokes as they've seen too many get elected. And the Victorian government are tackling insurance taxes with some stringent fiscal considerations. This really is a cruel news story. Hello everyone. This week I'm joined by senior journalists Miranda Maxwell and Benice Han, Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh and Editor John Deeks. Terry's gutted he can't comment this week, but he's battling the spicy cough. Hello Miranda. Good morning Andrew. No ill effects when working on the latest magazine with
1: Terry? Well, we've kept our distance and so far I'm still standing.
0: Hello, John. Hello. So are you going to take on Terry's mantle and make cynical comments? I'll I'll do my very best impression. <laughs> All right. Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. I wouldn't expect anything but a level headed analysis from you. Oh, well, we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and good morning, Benice. You laughed a little loud there. <laughs> morning, Andrew. Well, Bernice, the latest APRA statistics are out, so naturally our listeners will be turning to you for your analysis. Apparently, the Insurance Council is keen to point out that they're not necessarily as positive as they might
2: appear. That's right. So the headline numbers uh, actually do look good. It shows an industry that's in a strong state after last year's floods. Uh, underwriting profit, $5.3 billion for the 12 months to March. So that's about 12.4% uh, increase and net profit nearly tripled to 3.7 billion. But ICA is saying, hang on, uh, we've got to dig a little deeper and it's not all it seems. Home insurance, the ICA is keen to point out, uh, is actually not doing that well. In fact, uh, it's gone backwards. Underwriting losses for the home insurance line actually worsened to uh, 320 million from uh, 276 million. ICA is saying um, the headline profit numbers are actually propped up by significant turnaround in investment returns and improvements in some commercial lines. Investment income did recover, making some 2 billion from a 900 million deficit. So ICA is saying that you know, insurers are actually at the mercy of weather events and other factors beyond their control. So, pull off the champagne first.
0: <laughs> well, is this straight-laced approach all about justifying premium rises, John?
3: Yeah, I think the ICA's comments might be something to do with that. We know that premiums are going, around, are going up around the country for home insurance. And as the ICA says, that's for for good reason. Home insurers need to turn a profit, and at the moment it isn't profitable. So that's why premiums are going up. But also I think this is a bit of a message to government because the reason home insurance isn't profitable is because the risk is too high. And that's something that governments need to address through mitigation and so on. Well, talking of governments, Miranda, the Financial Services Minister has
0: been flagging the importance of data.
1: These comments were made yesterday. The Assistant Treasurer was in Sydney opening the International Congress of Actuaries. Uh, So he used that address to stress the importance of data in improving insurance affordability. And he says politicians and insurers should work together to address gaps in coverage for vulnerable communities. The Hazards Insurance Partnership is creating a nationalised data bank. And this, he says, will be critical in fixing affordability issues because insurer data can identify high risk areas, such as low income earners living in areas more likely to be impacted by climate change. So his comments were really all about transparency and insurers doing more to expose areas where policy changes are needed. And in a sort of quid pro quo, he then wants insurers to respond in turn with better premiums to reward risk reduction.
0: Well, he says. Data, I say data. Let's ask the Insurance Council because they're also behind this idea, are they, Wendy?
4: ICA, as Andrew Hall is deputy chairman of the uh, Hazards Insurance Partnership, and representatives from IAG, Suncorp, RACQ, Allianz, and QBE are also involved. So after that partnership's last meeting last week, Andrew Hall said it was pleasing to see ICA's advocacy for better data and collaboration between government and in- industry start- starting to take shape. And ICA also says that. Having a better understanding of risk uh, through good data that's accessible will be, you know, a great help in building resilience and improving um, insurance affordability and accessibility.
0: Well, that's nice. They're all
3: on the same page. Although Mr. Jones signed off with a warning for insurers. John. Yes, he did. As as Miranda just touched on there, uh, he was quite strong in his comments towards the end of his speech, basically saying that if homeowners do work to reduce the risk on their properties, then it has to be recognized through a reduction in premiums. You know, it, Mr. Jones says that if steps are taken to mitigate the risk, then the insurers have to take steps to bring down the premium. If, if those people are lumped with the same premium as people who are not taking those steps, then that's unfair, he says. Not only is it unfair, but it's also bad business and bad economics. It sends all the wrong signals. Now, of course, insurers would say, well, of course we do that. So get on and 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 let's get the mitigation done and, and then you'll see the premiums come down. So you just have to wait and see on that one. In other news, the Victorian
0: government had a nice surprise for insurers in last week's state budget, Wendy.
4: Well, yes, they announced that they're going to remove a 10% duty that's levied on business insurance. So it's levied on top of the GSD. So it's a compounding tax on a tax. And the government says it's going to phase that out over a 10-year period. So it says that insurance taxes uh, can distort business decision-making and lead to under- or non-insurance. And it says getting rid of the duty lifts the handbrake and will free up some more money for business.
0: Next question is a classic Terry one, but I'm going to ask you, Bernice, there are other insurance taxes that need dealing with though, aren't there, in Victoria and across the country?
2: Yes, that remains the case. So that's the uh, broad-based 10% GST, so that's applied to all all insurance products uh, so across Australia and then if you break it down state by state um, the various jurisdictions still charge a stamp duty of uh, 9 to 11 percent so in Victoria I believe the home and contents insurance uh, and car insurance you're still going to pay that 10 percent duty and then of course we have New South Wales um, the only mainland state to still rely on insurance levies to fund its uh, fire and emergency services so, the uh, ESL, uh, Emergency Services Levy, basically jacks up home insurance premiums by about 18%. And uh, for business cover, it's up to 40%. Having said that, the ACT is the only jurisdiction to have completely divorced itself from uh, insurance taxes. So, um, it started the tax reform program in 2012. So, they're the only ones to say bye to insurance taxes. <laughs> All right, let's see.
0: And Wendy, a medical indemnity insurer is tightening up its cover around gender transitioning. Can you explain what's happening here?
4: Well, MDA National, which is a member-owned insurer that covers GPs, has introduced a new professional indemnity policy exclusion that takes effect from July, where they won't cover claims arising out of a GP assessing that a patient under 18 years of age is suitable for gender transition or where they initiate prescribing of gender-affirming hormones. So that they're stressing they're not against the medicine, but the initial assessment for a minor to take that pathway is a very complex matter that should be considered by specialist teams, and they are very aware of the potential for the, to be future large claims if a GP alone makes that decision, and it's subsequently argued that it was the wrong one and then affected a child for life.
0: I once wore a pair of uh, tie-dyed flares when I was in my teens and I still haven't got over that mistake. Insurers aren't obliged to take on every risk, are they, John?
3: No, they're not. They can pick and choose and decide not to underwrite certain aspects if they think they're too risky. Uh, they're perfectly entitled to do that. Of course, it, that doesn't mean that it doesn't cause problems. And in this case, I think the fear is that it will reduce the number of professionals that are available to treat young people facing these kinds of issues. And that in itself could create problems. But uh, of course, that's not, not really something that the insurer has to worry about. And finally, Miranda, US insurer
0: State Farm is pulling back from property insurance in California.
1: State Farm is the biggest insurer in the US by some measures. So it's pretty alarming. It's withdrawn from offering any more personal and commercial property cover in California and is only continuing with auto. Uh, This capacity issue has been getting steadily worse since 2018 when the really serious wildfires were the costliest event of the year globally for insurers, costing about $16 billion. Uh, You might remember authorities put a one-year moratorium to stop insurers cancelling or not renewing policies after that. And since that expired, AIG last year and now State Farm are withdrawing from California due to these spiralling costs of catastrophes. And uh, State Farm also singled out construction costs, outpacing inflation and a tough reinsurance market.
0: Well, it's not Hollywood, but could we see the same kind of thing happening in Australia and New Zealand, Wendy?
1: Well, I'm not sure we'd see an insurer
4: pulling out of just an entire state, you know, based on state boundaries. But obviously, they can be selective about the risk they take on. And, you know, that's reflected in risk-based pricing. So we often hear of people who have very limited uh, affordable options if they're in a high-risk area or who might have to go without um, the flood cover. In New Zealand, Tower made the point, you know, just last week that uh, it's taking a closer look at landslide risk following the North Island weather disasters this year. And it's also said it has increased the weightings that puts on the flood risk portion of premiums to reflect the changing risks profile. So it tends to be more of a, you know, location and risk by risk assessment, I think.
0: And on that note, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh, Bernice Han and Miranda Maxwell. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au we value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.